Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Julie Keel, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello. And we're not quite sure where Jeff Sire is. Maybe he'll join us, maybe he won't, but um, he's AWOL at the moment. So anyway, carrying on, (laughs) Um, we're going to be talking about uh, I Am Legend, mostly the movie. Um, so, when, according to iTunes, uh, the story is about Robert Neville, played by Will Smith, who is a brilliant scientist, but even he could not contain the terrible virus that was unstoppable, incurable, and man-made. Somehow immune, Neville is now the last human survivor in what is left of New York City, and maybe the world. But he's not alone. He is surrounded by the infected, victims of the plague who have mutated into carnivorous beings who can only exist in the dark and who will devour or infect anyone or anything in their path. For three years, Neville has spent his days scavenging for food and supplies and faithfully sending out radio messages, desperate to find any other survivors who might be out there. All the while, the infected lurk in the shadows, watching Neville's every move, waiting for him to make a fatal mistake. Perhaps mankind's last best hope, Neville is driven by the only, the one only remaining mission, to find a way to reverse the effects of the virus using his own immune blood. But his blood is also what the infected hunt, and Neville knows he is outnumbered and quickly running out of time. <clears throat> Boy, and that pretty much sets up the story. Um, yeah, on the positive note, they found a cure for cancer, and weirdly, in a way, they also found a cure for uh, world hunger, too, because, I don't know, this, like, wiped out most of the world population. Well, they found a, a solution to a lot of problems, you know, the redistribution of wealth and child labor and, you know, uh, uh, gosh, we could go on and on, uh, it's, but, you know, the the solution is probably worse than the, you know, one of the cases where the, the cure is worse than the disease. Um, which is interesting because that is how it starts. Um, there is this, and I love, you know, American, okay, we will, you and I are both Americans, um, especially being Central America, you know, Midwest, as in we're completely isolated from the rest of the world, um, that they chose a British female scientist that cured cancer. You know, who, who, from an American perspective, just having a British accent gives you an air of authority. You, you just, you say it in a British accent and we'll believe you. Um, so it's, um, I, I found that quite curious actually that it was a very humble, and it was so funny the way they portrayed it in the movie too. It was like they were describing, so you found this, this, medicine and you've you've done 10,000 clinical trials and and how many of them been successful 10,000 well it's 10,009 I believe is the actual number they used but um so basically you've cured cancer and the scientist is sitting there going well well well, yes we have and I'm like oh stop with the humility good god you're on the freaking today show tell me you're not there because you you have no reason you don't know the reason that you're there I mean, of course you cured cancer, and you're on TV because of it, and, you know, the the whole world's going nuts about this. So stop with the humility. Um, so that that was an interesting way to get the movie started, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, this is based on the uh, the book. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess the reason that we had planned on doing this for a while, but then uh, I guess the reason that we kind of did it this week was last week Richard Matheson... The man who wrote the the book that, that is this right. movie 
is loosely based on passed away. So that we kind of got to talking. I think we kind of bumped it up in our informal little queue that we have here. And um, and I have I've never read the book, but I did go to Wikipedia and kind of look over the plot summary. And it, uh, like I say, it's loosely based on the book, but it it differs a lot in the movie. Um, the, um, the the main character uh, Neville is. Uh, trying to save the population in the book he, he's trying to kill them uh he's kind of like a vampire hunter he's developed all these different kinds of uh ways of killing the vampires and and everything and actually i think the ending for the book i thought was rather interesting where um the uh the infected uh start to form their own society with rules and everything um whereas in the the end of the movie there's still there might be some signs of maybe some organization some societal oh i wouldn't go that far matter of fact there was a statement in the movie that um neville had made the statement that all uh remnants of human society has have broken down at this point well like i say it's really rough i mean you have like a leader there which that was it that's all you had you had the biggest and baddest who was being a leader i would not call that a society no (laughs) i would call that a pack Okay, yeah, well, Wolfpack uh, might yeah. be more appropriate. Um, and like I say, I, you know, I got to add it to my long list of things I plan on reading someday. But the, the, uh, the book does sound uh, rather interesting where, like I said, the, these people have mutated, but they've managed to hang on to enough of their humanity that they start to form a society. And there may be hopes. In, and, and in the end, uh, 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 Neville is uh, – is basically executed for his crimes for killing all the vampires, and I think the way that it ends there is that uh, something about him uh, being the last uh, human survivor. Uh, he will be known, uh, you know. I I will be, le- or I am legend. He will become that that they talk about in their societies for years to come about um, the last remaining human, and that that's how they work it in there. Um, at the end of the movie, I think they worked it in as uh, you know his legacy was that he helped. Uh, find a cure for this disease and that's how he became a legend um and there's been several other movies uh based on this book there was uh, the omega man um and the last the, uh, the last man standing, standing. yeah and then there was a, a fourth one i think that was uncredited uh to um richard matheson but um so there's been like about four movies and they all have their own different little takes on the novel uh none of them uh as far as i well maybe there was uh maybe the i am legend uh original let's see um oh i think last man's last man on earth um may have been fairly um somewhat true to the book truer than what the the i am legend movie is mm-hmm. But uh, this did spawn um, the uh, kind of the zombie craze. Uh, it was kind of the inspiration for Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got a lot of these, um, you know, zombies that seems to be all the rage now, which is essentially what these people are. Maybe they're not after brains like zombies are, but, um, you know, they're oh. kind of, yeah, you know, blood, brains, whatever, you know, it's all part of the human body. you got to kill it to get to it. Yep. Um, but it's, you know, that's become a, a genre now is the uh, – post-apocalyptic um, you know zombies you even got um, the walking dead uh which is the same thing so i mean it's it's a book that spawned a, a whole different kind of scientific horror genre yeah and it's certainly you know like you say kicked off a whole 
bunch of things. Um, and, and this story seems to not want to go away. I mean, the, the, it was funny because as I was watching this movie this morning, even, um, I literally just finished it and was catching up with Twitter and JC Hutchins, who we've talked about before with regards to the seventh son story, um, tweeted out something about, Oh my God, I hate that movie. And I'm like, Oh really? That's funny. Cause we're going to be talking about it on sci-fi tech talk today. And I says, Oh, maybe the book's better. And he says, Well, no, it's really got nothing to do with the book. I just hate that movie. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. Because well, I actually really like this show, to be honest. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, um, you know, certainly, like, if you love the book, you're probably not going to love this movie. Well, but yeah, in the, there's a, oh, I learned this lesson the hard way. Um, with Harry Potter taught me this. The fourth movie, Goblet of Fire. Um, I literally... I had read the book years before, and then the movie was going to be released on Friday afternoon. So Monday afternoon, I started rereading the book and finished it at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday to go to the 7 o'clock showing of the movie and just hated that freaking movie so bad I couldn't stop ranting for weeks. And then I, st- I, I just walked away from it all for about a year and then went back to watch the movie and went, oh, you know, the movie's pretty good. You know, just don't compare it to the book. Um, so if you treat them as two totally different stories, they probably both stand on their own. Just the fact that they have the same name and they're supposed to be the same story can really, you know, irk you. Yeah, and the thing, you know, I, I did um, like the movie, um, kind of the, the lack of dialogue. Uh. You know, to some extent, it kind of reminded me of the movie uh, Castaway with Tom Hanks. It's It's a... It's a, it's a trope. The whole blasted story is a trope. Um, you know how it's going to end. You know what's going to happen in between. I mean, you could write it yourself. Give me a sheet of paper and a couple hours, and I can do the screenplay for you. But it's still entertaining. It's still a good story, even though you know the story. We all know the story of, you know, Sound of Music or Wizard of Oz. That's okay. We still watch it again. Um, so, uh, you know, not just because you know the story doesn't mean it's it's bad. So, um, I, I guess maybe I've got low standards or whatever, but I thought this was was pretty good. And yeah, there's not much. To, who's he going to talk to? <laughs> he's got his dog for much of the show, but uh, I mean, that's the, he's talking to mannequins. Come on, that was a little creepy, but. I could imagine myself too, because I, you know, there's times when you know I, I spend time alone, you know, being uh, a custodian at the high school and you're working nights. There's not a lot of people around. Sometimes you do end up having conversations with yourself, and God help you if anybody ever overhears <laughs> you, gonna think you're losing it. But you know, that's what you do when you, you know, uh, you you are alone and you want to hear a sound of another voice. You just start, or of a voice, you just start talking to out loud or to, you know whatever. And I could see him. You know, uh, mannequins being, you know, human analog substitutes or something like that, that uh, for him to at least pretend that, that, that they're human and let his imagination, you know, uh, run wild. And I, and I truly believe that there's something to verbalizing it. I mean, you can, you can mull this stuff, you can sit in a corner, stare at the wall and mull this stuff over in your head. And then the minute you say it out loud, it's like, oh my God, this is the solution is obvious. You know, it's it's kind of like help desk. You sit there and bang your head trying to figure out a computer problem, so you dial up the help desk, and as soon as you explain it, it's like, I know how to fix this. You know, so um, a lot of times it's like, okay, help desk, never mind, thank you, you've been very helpful, um, got it, we're good. So that, that whole business of talking to mannequins. There's probably speaking of science and technology. There's probably some. 
some uh, matter of fact i can almost guarantee there's science out there that that talks about because i know that there's science behind the idea that if you write things down uh using a pen and paper pencil and paper that you will remember it better than if you you know even type it into a computer or especially if you're just trying to you know remember it even if you repeat it to yourself um you do tend to to remember things have a, a longer um recall if you write things down or even like I do I'll whip out my my iPhone once in a while and hit the notes app and um I like to dictate because the keyboard on the iPhone's a little small so but just the uh, act of speaking it out loud mm-hmm. will help you remember because there's lots of times I forget to look at the list but I still remember what I had on there because I you know I reinforced it by saying it I do that I have to admit I do that all the time the shower you know how the showers are. You come up with your best ideas in the shower, and then by the time you get out of the shower, it's like, what the heck? What? Or you remember something you have to do. And I have learned at this point that if I think of something like that in the shower, I have to say it out loud if I expect to remember it by the time I'm done and dressed and can deal with it. So, Well, my, my best time is that just after you wake up and you're laying in bed and you're not quite fully awake, but your mind is, you know, is... Uh, Solving problems, yep. Yes, and I'm still looking for an elusive uh, USB port into my skull so I can just jack in there and download all the podcasts I've done in my head. Yep. They're wonderful, but by the time I get it from my brain to my mouth, it loses a lot. Well, and speaking of brain science, too... Um, it's interesting that in the movie, the main character happens to be a brilliant scientist. He's we, we have no idea. The movie does not say why he was spared. He was not the person who invented the cure, so somehow got you know vaccinated in that process. Um, it does not specify why he was spared. That I know of, at least I didn't catch it. Um, um, you just had uh, this mysterious immunity. immunity. Yeah, it, it, it's not explained. It's just out and of the 55 million people in the metro area, he's the only one that's immune. Uh, and since this was based on, they had mutated a virus to attack the cancer cells. Well, he must have had some... Uh, and I don't know why it was just him. Why not? Why there wasn't a bigger handful out of how many people are in um, New York? Forty, 40 million. million. Yeah. Yeah, I think we established that in our last show. Yeah. Um, one person out of forty million. You know, I would say the odds would be a little greater, maybe two. Um, and he, and he does. He sits there and he broadcasts. You know, I guess that was his hope on AM uh, stations. Uh, on all AM frequencies, that if anybody you know has survived in the city of New York to meet them at the Southport Pier uh, when the sun is at its highest, uh, you know, because he's trying to find survivors, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so you know, he's holding out hope, uh, and eventually there are two people that are traveling trying to get to you know this compound that they'd heard of in uh, Vermont where there are survivors there, and at that point, um, you know. Uh, he uh, Neville has hit his his low spot. Um, his beloved dog that he had with him, he had to you know put to sleep uh, because uh, it became infected by an attack. And so he goes out zombie hunting, basically. He well, he just goes yeah, he just rages. A full suicidal yeah. uh, you know onslaught. Yeah, and then you know it. it I I don't know if I, how I feel about the way they did it in the film. Um, you know. She said, "You know, he, she, uh, her, and her son show up at just the right moment to save him from the zombies and uh, or the uh, infected, and 
you know, and she says, you know, it was uh, God that told her to do it. And I don't know if that seems, I mean, I have certain religious convictions, but that kind of seemed like a convenient plot device to use. But, you know, that was her reasoning that, um, you know, this was all for a reason and that's why she was there and, you know, and saved him so that she could transport the the cure right there. and and uh, f- most why starship troopers gets under my skin so bad is because most science fiction does have much of science fiction has a moral to the story basically um starship trooper had a chance at it and blew it anyway but um this one does seem to be you know part of that of essentially have faith or you know trust in something that you can't see type of thing um because you know first off again why did will smith or neville be be the the, the fully qualified scientist with crap loads of skills i mean he can hunt he can farm he can jury rig am radios he's got a lab in his basement where he's testing stuff on rap and and you have to understand the lab in the basement doesn't surprise me because when everybody is dead in new york city and you can plunder whatever you want at will during daylight hours you can have whatever you need you know um three years has not used up all the gasoline stored in the tanks it has not used up all the food stored in in um you know, people's fridges. Although, uh, I, 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 at one point they pulled out bacon and eggs, and I'm like, where in the heck do you get bacon and eggs? Um, well, but, it was powdered eggs. Yeah, but but if, but bacon, you know, if you have gas to power generators, great. Three-year-old bacon in the freezer, guilty, probably had it before myself. So, um, not impossible. Not impossible. Not recommended, but not impossible. Right. Um, how tasty it would be. Yeah. <laughs> so, um it's you know the the idea that he has access to those resources again falls under that not impossible um, thing the fact that he's got the one lone survivor happens to have all those skills um plus the house that he barricades himself in um the technology in that house the the one that i just had a real hard time imagining is these you know, blast doors, basically. Every every window and door he was able to shut at night with metal blast doors, essentially. And I don't know how those got there. I can't believe that they were part of the original design and they weren't installed. He didn't have something to do with installing them, but maybe they were. I mean, there's... Um, you know, it's New York City. Somebody's got weird ideas about what's required in architecture. So, hey, maybe they were part of the original building. Well, it didn't look like he just slapped them up. No, I mean, it didn't. It really did look like they were part of the original building. Maybe he was hoping for a quick, um, you know, conclusion to this. Not three years like it turned out to be, but um, you know that, and you know, he had other safety precautions uh, rigged up. He had Claymore mines. Um, he had all kinds of things. He, I mean, again, the logic skills, the science. So he had three years to put this all together, but you know, obviously he had a plan. I mean, the movie starts with him out hunting deer in the city, um, and then you know, to, for food he had a garden going where he's planting corn and stuff. The dog was eating vegetables. Um, the um, uh, he had a 
the the radio signal had been in place for some period of time. He had a spot out there that he would go to. He had vehicles at his disposal that he had stocked and modified to some extent, I suppose you could say, for his purposes. He had, again, a perimeter set up around his home He with several layers of defense. Um, he had guns in every room with ammunition. The ammunition... Um, stores may have been the weakest point in the pl- in the plan it, it seemed like he he had ammunition but not buttloads of it you know um so it it, it, it you know the the with three three years to to do all of that and no help um i think it you know if if the right things were in place and obviously you could pick whatever building you wanted to fortify so you know pick a good one um it, it's entirely you know within one person's possible skill set perhaps you know but um it's uh it, the part of that whole fate thing or or faith thing is that that was the person that was chosen to survive you know f- whoever made that choice that was the one that survived and then at the last second this this lady and her son come by and you know save him and then they happen to be there and he helps them, you know, religious um, connotations left, right, and center. There's a sign. There's a message from God. There's a give up their life to save another type of thing. There's walking to the promised land. There's all kinds of of uh, biblical imagery going on in it. Um, so it's, uh, you know, the one thing I never could figure out is why she had a son. I mean, not that saying that that's a bad thing, but normally characters in a movie have a role, and the the, the lady's son just seemed to be, you know, a tag along. So, well, I don't know. To me, when I saw the, the her and the son, you know, I think they maybe had a brief flashback there about his wife and his daughter true. that he lost in the helicopter. True. So that may have been there to kind of toy with his emotions a little bit and replace his family he couldn't save his own family so he can save this one right yeah. and, and you know while you were sitting there talking about that you know i kind of realized the movie didn't spell it out he may not have been the only one with the immunity obviously may, not yeah well no but he might have been the only one with immunity smart enough to survive right and the uh the abilities and the uh the where for all and the and the stuff that yeah. he needs. there may have been others but you know it may have been you know maybe there was some you know drunk on the corner that had the immunity but you know he didn't have the the skills and he got you know maybe you know was a, a midday or a midnight snack because these people didn't come out during the daytime right a midnight snack for somebody so there may have been others that just weren't fit to survive but he had the immunity and the 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 skills and uh whatever it took to get him to that point. So, yeah, but, the, you know, it still uh, seems like there all the things was in place for him to reach the point where he was. Right. And it's Steve Jobs uh, is famous for the one saying you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going back. And um, this is when you get to the end of the movie and start connecting those dots backwards, it's a pretty, you know, I won't call it um, preposterous connection of dots, but it's a pretty... Um, I was about to use the word awesome, meaning awe-inspiring. You know, it's it's uh, there's not a good word. I do, words are failing me here. It, well, uh, it's it, uh, it was believable. Yep, it was it was, it was believable. It was um, 
I don't have the word. <laughs> well, and, you know, there's lots of things that when you're you know going through something, you know, it may not make a lot of sense, but when you do, do turn and look back, and then you kind of see all the steps yep. along the way to getting this point, you, then you kind of go, yeah, all wow. right, yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of what this story was. That it just seemed like I wasn't going to say random events, but there was a series of events that did lead to that point, right? Uh, and everything coming together so that the the cure, you know, they never elaborated on it, and I guess they didn't really need to, but, you know, it sounded like the society started to form again, and um, whether they, um, you know, if these people, if they went out to try to cure the um, the infection or... Well, in the, in the end of the movie, at least, um, didn't it, the, it was a, it was a satisfying end of the movie, but there are some loose ends that weren't tied up for instance everybody that's in this conclave shall we call it in new hampshire i think it was um, has obviously survived they've got some level of either immunity themselves or something that allowed them to survive and they appeared to be doing really rather well they were not starving it wasn't like a refugee camp it looked like a little community barricaded in mind you with soldiers at the gate but a community um but somehow this vial of blood that held the answer to the zombie situation um, was the critical bit that was going to save humanity. I'm like, well, you know, actually, you've got a community going in New Hampshire that's, you know, probably quite capable of saving humanity themselves anyway. So I don't see what the little vial of blood is going to do to add to their, you know, circumstances and increase increase their probability of what they've already survived so anyway so like i said to me that was kind of perplexing maybe somebody's got an answer we we have you know like a website where you could put some comments down and clue me in on what this might be well, but um, we never saw the compound maybe they had a a farm of zombies there that they had uh, were keeping for the purpose of you know doing this stuff well and, and perhaps they had some idea of redeeming the, the zombies of reversing it because that's what he was working on in his basement and he basically had some success in that so maybe if he could figure out a way to you know revaccinate the zombies and turn them back into you know actual humans um, I don't know if that was the what the blood was for or not I, I really don't understand why this vial of blood was so critical you, you under you clearly understand that it is critical but for what I wasn't quite sure uh, it, it does seem to have been critical in reversing the zombification. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, the one other thing that we haven't, you know, quite touched on very much is the fact that, you know, it's not nice to mess with Mother Nature. Right. Because this all started because they were, you know, trying to find a cure for cancer, and they mutated this virus uh, that, you know, into fighting cancer. You know, cancer is just basically a, a cell in the body that's gone wild. So you, um, and, you know, did they not quite think this through, or was they so, uh, were they so, you know, um, set on the notion of curing cancer that they didn't stop to realize that if you modify a virus to attack a cell in the body that this could maybe go horribly wrong or did they think that since we've been fighting off viruses for uh you know millennia now that uh, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't affect the rest of the body i mean did they not think the whole process through well to some extent that also for me um it's a nod to how desperate we are to to cure cancer. We might be willing to 
jump in head first because we think it's it's curing cancer as opposed to you know doing the cautious approach and and taking our time and making sure things are right you know it's almost the Jurassic Park thing just because we can doesn't mean we we should um, so it, it's yeah and it to me it's also interesting that well from a medical um, clinical trials standpoint obviously they had. 10,000 people in a clinical trial is huge. Um, statistics say that, you know, for like the, the U.S. population, you really only need 200 people. Um, the, if you, when you start breaking it down by men or women of certain age groups with certain behavioral things or whatever, then you need more people. But if you're looking for a random sample of the U.S. population, 200 people is more than plenty. Um, and w- when they're talking about a clinical trial of 10,000, I mean, that's good in anybody's book. I mean, we've got drugs that we sell over the counter that haven't been that well tested. Um, so, you know, it's not like they didn't do their homework, but there must have been something down the road that that uh, didn't play out as anticipated, obviously. Yeah, because by the time you reach like 10,000 people, that's usually large-scale testing. They will usually start out... Uh, with a small group and then start working your way up and you would have thought that if they would have followed the procedures that they use for testing all these uh, drugs and medical techniques that you would have thought somewhere along the line they may have started and maybe they were so desperate that they ignored certain things um, saying that's just a mild side effect or something but you would have thought things would have started to show up sometime before you hit the 10,000 level well and to me the fact that like the entire human race was infected with this. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine in, th- you know, three years that the entire human race got this vaccine. So there was something that was communicable. Well, it was, yeah, yeah, it was spreading either through airborne, airborne or, or blood contact. Contact of some sort, yeah. So because once the infected started attacking people and they became infected. But it's, it, you know, from a, from a medical standpoint too, the bubonic plague wasn't a hundred percent deadly you know the 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 um lethality of this thing is unprecedented basically i mean obviously it wiped out the human race with the exception of you know a handful of people in new hampshire yeah they in the in the movie there they did the math and it, it escapes me now it was like um 10 percent of the world's population survived, and of that 10%, 1%, I think, uh, was the uh, ones that were immune to it. So it was like a few hundred thousand people or right. something to that effect. And as you hinted earlier, those hundred thousand people had to manage to survive the you know, the zombies that were attacking them on a daily or nightly basis. So, um, you know, the, the actual survivors, people who were still living three years later, was probably pretty darn small. You know what's interesting? I, forget, I was wanted to be sure and mention this. War of the Worlds. Um, this is almost a reversal of War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds said uh, we're getting invaded from outer space and bacteria and germs are going to save us because we're immune to them but the, the aliens are not. Here's one where we it's no aliens involved but there's this germ um, that uh, it does not save humanity, but kills it off because we invented it ourselves. It's almost a negative of the um, premise of War of the Worlds, and, to, and obviously the the 
the outcomes are completely different too. I mean, in War of the Worlds, humanity is saved, the aliens all die. In I Am Legend, there are no aliens, but humanity's dead, you know, for the most part. Well, I think the aliens are the ones that do manage to survive the infection. Well, yeah, yes. you, you could argue that, yeah. Well, you know, it almost becomes that the humans become the aliens on Earth on because Earth. they are the minority. Yeah, they, they are, well, they certainly are out of place. Um, they, they, yeah, it's an interesting show. There's, as far as the technology goes, I mean, even the date of this thing, it's set for, we've passed it already. I think it was like September of 2012 that some of the, the quote-unquote future date. And here, the, the movie was only made in 2007, and it only set its dates five years into the future, which, you know, is obviously, I was going to say risky, but it's it's totally not risky because you're totally acknowledging that, you know, these dates are meaningless. It's, it's just whatever. Um, <laughs> we just pulled them out of the air. Um, so, but it wasn't trying to foresee things way into the future. It was just basically trying to take things where we are at now and tweak them just a little. Um, so there wasn't any technology in here that's other than the cure for cancer that can also kill humanity that we don't already have, which we probably have that too. We just don't know it. Well, that's a comforting. I know it. <laughs> well, of course, if you think about it too, we could get smashed by an asteroid too. So. Yeah, well. well. Now for your day lifter. <laughs> Yeah, your day lifter. Everybody drink, okay? <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, it's uh, you know the, the, to me that some of the technology that was interesting in this was the um, um, the medical experiments, you know, the medical research literally going on in this guy's basement. You know, the the idea that um, he was going to continue on and try to find a cure for this situation. And um, and then the way, the, the, the technology that he um, needed to survive, you know, the, the lights, the fire, the uh, guns, the metal um, barricades, blast doors on his house, um, the, the vehicles, um, the the dog was certainly helpful if you know while he was there she was there I guess it was a Samantha um, for hunting if for nothing nothing else um, besides companionship which is probably a better use um, than anything so you know the technology is all stuff we have it's just we don't have that particular need for it yay <laughs> <laughs> yeah let, and let's hope so yeah <laughs> so. Anyway, anything else about this show? No, this is, you know, it about covered it. And, and like I say, the um, if anybody wants a different perspective, I, I would say go out and read the book. Because like I say, that is, um, um, I won't say it's completely different, but um, it, it's certainly different than the movie. Um, it, the way that it's set up, the way that the character, <clears throat> excuse me, the characters develop and everything. Um, so if you... If, uh, you know, read the book and just get a diff, uh, kind of a different story, really. Um, and I think on their own, they're both uh, serve their own purpose and they have their own, uh, I think, satisfactions to them. And as far as reading goes, too, uh, again, we did pick this topic or moved it up because of Richard Matheson's death, death in the past week. And, and to, to 
you know, go go read more of his stuff. He did everything from uh, Star Trek episodes to oh god, we're, I, I read him in his obituaries and now I can't remember his his line of of uh, credits in science fiction is huge. So, and I don't mean as in lengthy, which it certainly is, but I mean big time stuff. I mean right up there. Oh, uh, Twilight Zone. He did the. Uh, the Shatner episode, 20,000 feet or whatever that the title of it is, which I should know, but I can't remember right now. But it's the Shatner episode of Twilight Zone. Um, so, uh, again, he, he's it's it may not be lengthy, but the things that he was, which, it, again, it kind of is anyway, but the things he was involved in are all classics. Yeah, and the uh, uh, he wrote yeah one episode of uh, Star Trek, I think that was The Enemy Within. Which is also an excellent episode. Yeah, it's the one where uh, Spurt, uh, uh, Kirk gets split in the transport into good and evil. Yep. And, you know, kind of a you know, playing with, you know, our good side, our evil side. And, you know, maybe this is kind of the same thing that's maybe not good and evil side. But, you know, what happens to us when we, you know, start messing with well, things? And, and, wow, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Everything goes back to track. Anyway, um because the enemy within basically says when you split the good and split the bad, um, neither neither one is actually good. I mean, you you need both. Yeah, neither survives. Yeah. Um, so when you look when you take that forward to the I Am Legend movie, um, the the same can kind of hold true there. You can't have good as in cured cancer because then what you get is bad, which is zombies. So you know as much as we uh, really and. Having had personal experience with people dying from cancer and all kinds of other nasty stuff, um, you would love to see that obliterated, but it well, is that, part of human existence, and it may be necessary on a species level. Uh, yeah, uh, eradicated, but at what cost? Yeah, you know, right. You know, the, the good of the many outweighs the good of the one or something. You know, all of that kind of stuff plays. I don't know. Bigger stuff than my brain is required to solve. Um, the, um, philosophers have been working on that one for thousands of years, and I don't know that we have an answer. And I'm not sure if we had an answer if it was if it would actually be the answer. So, <laughs> well, next time I you know I tell somebody I'm going to squeeze in their job in between curing cancer and solving world hunger, maybe I ought to rethink that a little. Yeah. <laughs> You squeeze it in there. Well, you can't argue the opposite either of, of you know, of killing off the zombies and, and um, keeping all the food for yourself. I mean, that doesn't work either. So, anyway. Well, all right. This is going to wrap up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at SciFiTechTalk.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SciFiTechTalk. And if you have ideas or comments or answers to all these unanswered questions that we come up with every episode, please send them to SciFiTechTalk at gmail.com. And, of course, reviews on iTunes are always welcome. So, Mike, where can folks find you on the cyberspace? Um, I can be found at DSC Chipman on Twitter, and I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. Sounds good. And I, too, can be found on Twitter at Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L. Um, and uh, links to my other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I've got going on, it can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. And before we go, I have to give props to a listener 
um, on Twitter. His handle is Trekkie Barker, T-R-E-K-K-I-E-B-A-R-K-E-R, who not only listens to the podcast, um, but contacted me and sent me some really cool vinyl stickers to go on my space bar on my computers um, that, because everything goes back to Trek, say the final frontier. So (laughs) I tweeted those out and I'll put a link in the show notes to, um, he's selling them on Etsy and, you know, it's up to you whether you want these or not. They're kind of cool. And, you know, anything that reminds me about Trek, um, I'm, I'm game for. So thank you to Alex and... Um, the rest of you guys, go g- give it a look and, and see if it's something you're interested in. So that's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. It's the sci-fi tech talk.